So if you want to be baptized or if you have questions about it, you can just sign up on your connection card to be baptized. And, uh, you know, maybe... You know, maybe you've never been baptized before. would strongly encourage you to do so. Maybe you were baptized as an infant. And that was probably very meaningful to your parents. And it, you know, made a difference in your life. But, but I would encourage you to have a time where you're baptized when you can remember, when you can say, I've decided to follow Jesus. Whatever the case may be, we'd love to have you participate in it. I've had, you know, just some conversations with people recently who have just reminded me of how impactful it is. You know, I was talking to someone this past week who just said that was just one of the greatest memories that she has in her life is that moment she was baptized and just resting in God's love and the celebration of it. And I don't want you to miss out on that. So so I would encourage you to sign up, all right? So, um, so in the month of September, as we're getting ready for our campaign, 40 Days of Love, I've been preaching messages that are about kind of foundational things. That's usually what I do in the month of September. Right? There's about a dozen different topics that I cycle back through. I don't ever totally just cut and paste a message. I just take a fresh look at a subject. But that's what I've been trying to do. And, and so, so this, a uh, couple weeks ago, we talked about the need for us to have a hunger for God. That being hungry for God would really kind of define our life. And last week I talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit and what does it mean if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and we just had a great three weeks of 21 days of prayer and lots of, you know, it's prayer focus that we've had. We'll do it again in January. And we prayed every morning at 6 a.m. We culminated, completed it with a, a Holy Spirit night on, uh, on this past Friday night, which was a wonderful time of worship. People got healed. People got empowered. It was, just, it was just a great, great time. And so this morning, I want to talk about generosity. And I want to encourage us, just, you know, very simple. My goal for this is to encourage you to live a generous life. Now, this is not a money message. This is not a tithing message. Uh, this is a message about how we're going to live our lives. What's going to be kind of the basic disposition of our lives to become the kind of people that we're called to be and the kind of church that we're called to be, to be a, to be a generous church. And the big idea is this. You know, the, the culture that we live in is going to lie to us, and they're going to say, hey, here's what life is about. Life is about you accumulating as much as you can possibly accumulate. Life is about you accomplishing as much as you can possibly accomplish. That's not true. Jesus told us what life is really about. Life is about, life is determined by how much of your life you choose to give away. And so many, listen, the people that I'm talking to here in this church, and I'm preaching at, you know, all three services, and, and uh, I'm not, pre we actually have four services today, because we have the hype in the kingdom. Nico and Kenya, they're, they're leading that service. They're the ones who were in that baptism video. They're not letting me preach tonight. I'm not allowed, and I'm going to be here, but I'm not allowed near the stage for that. But, um, but, you know, as I'm talking to everyone here in our church, I'm just like, I'm just struck by how incredibly generous we are as a church. You guys are, you know, so many of you are generous with your money. You're generous with your time. You're generous with how you serve. And, 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 and I think I want to encourage us and spur us all on to be more generous than we currently are because we're in this moment right now. We're in this cultural moment where, where there are temptations for us to kind of hunker down and hold on to what we have. Right? We've come through the pandemic. We've come through uh, quarantine. We now have this inflation. We, it'd be very easy for us to say, you know what? I need to hold on to my energy. I need to hold on. I need to protect my bandwidth. I need to protect my material assets. I need to protect myself. But the invitation that God gives us is, no, don't do that. 
What he wants us to do is that we, we give away what we have. We're generous what we have, even especially those places in our life where maybe we're feeling some scarcity right now. Because what happens when we do that is we're showing who we're ultimately trusting. That our trust isn't in our bandwidth. Our trust isn't in our bank account. Our trust is in the Lord. Right, that we say, God, we trust you. You are the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And we know that you're a good father. And we know that you're going to take care of us. And so, listen, every time that I preach, my goal every time I preach is to preach the best message I ever preached. I don't ever want to phone it in and, uh, you know, always like, okay, God, what is it you want to say that can really change people's lives and transform people's lives? And I, I don't think there's too many other things I could teach this morning that could have more potential to really transform our life than to encourage us to be generous, to understand what the Bible says about generosity, because this is something that I think could potentially bring a lot of joy into your life. And so the Bible has a lot to say about the subject. And this is one of those times, too, where what we're going to read about in the Bible is very consistent, is very different from kind of the cultural wisdom, the things that we hear, the things that our flesh says, the things that we hear on TV. The Bible has a lot to say about generosity. So a couple of verses just to lay a foundation to walk us through. Proverbs 11.24 says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. And you think, well, this doesn't really make sense, because what it says is if you take what you have and you give it away, you're going to get more. And if you try to hold on to what you have, it's going to slip through your fingers. You're going to end up losing what you're trying to protect. It's, it's the upside-down kingdom of God. It's God's kingdom economics, which are totally different from the economics of the world. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So what this says is that if you bless other people, if you're generous to other people, that's going to come back on you. You can't outgive God. And you're going to be, when you try to refresh someone else, be generous with someone else, that generosity is going to come back to you. Psalm 112.5, good will come to those who are generous. Right? The promise, if you're generous, good is going to come to you. Good is going to find you. Uh, people who conduct their affairs with justice. And then you had Paul write this to Timothy. Timothy was the leader of the, the church in Ephesus. And so he's encouraging Timothy in this letter. And he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's kind of the heart of what this is, right? The more faith we have in God, the more we put our trust and our hope in God, the more we're going to find that generosity just naturally flows from us. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, the life that is truly life, God wants you to have a better life. He wants you to have a more abundant life. He wants goodness to come to you. What this says over and over again all throughout Scripture is give away what you have and you're going to find the life that God has for you. Not only will you find abundance in this life, you will be laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Right? You'll be making decisions and doing things that are going to pay off 2,000 years from now or sooner. You know, in treasures in heaven, where as Jesus said, moth and rust, they don't destroy, they don't decay, they're safe and secure, they're kept for you. 
So it's an it's a opportunity for us to have a completely different perspective of life. And just to sum up this part of things, Jesus said this, or was being quoted in the book of Acts. It said, remembering the words, Acts 20, 35, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so what I want to do this morning is I'm going to walk us through a couple of chapters. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read a good portion of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, but then I'm going to refer to chapter 9 uh, because it's kind of a conversation that Paul is having in those two chapters. He's finishing his thoughts. And so, uh, so we're going to get this overview because Paul is talking about generosity. Now, you might know the, the way that Paul kind of did life and the way his ministry worked is he'd go on these missionary journeys. And so he was the apostle to the Gentiles. So he'd go to these places in the Roman Empire where no one had ever preached Jesus before. So he'd show up in Rome, he'd show up in Corinth, he'd show up in Ephesus, he'd show up in Galatia, and he'd go and he'd start proclaiming Jesus. And then he'd heal a bunch of people and then teach more about Jesus. And then there'd be people who were following Jesus. And then he would gather them together and you'd have a church in Corinth, a church in Ephesus. And then he'd spend oftentimes like a couple of years with them. And he'd raise up leaders and he'd raise up pastors and he would appoint elders. Then he would go off to another city and do it again. And so that when you read the New Testament... You're reading, uh, especially the Pauline epistles, uh, what you're reading is are letters that Paul was writing to people. Usually he had, a, he had a real strong relationship with them. He'd spent maybe years with them, and he maybe had visited them multiple times, and he's writing them to teach them theology, to encourage them, to teach very specific things, deal with, address very specific situations. And that's what's going on here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Jerusalem church is struggling. And so uh, there's a famine that's going on in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was like the mothership, right? So all of these other churches, they could point back to Jerusalem and say it all started there. So Paul had been saying, hey, let's do this great thing. Let's bless mom by taking up an offering and having all the churches take up an offering that's going to bless the Jerusalem church. And so he'd actually talked to the Corinthians about this like a year ago. And so, so what he's doing is reminding them and kind of getting ready to receive that offering to bless the Jerusalem church. So let me read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 12. He says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given to the Macedonian church. So he starts this section by saying, let's talk about your, your Macedonian brothers. Because the Macedonian church, they were, that was a pretty poor church. That was a pretty poor city. Corinth was actually pretty affluent. They were, they were on the other side of things. And he said, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So what he's doing, he's, he's almost kind of engaging a little bit of healthy competition. He's like, hey, let me stir you guys up by talking about how the Macedonians have responded. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So maybe Paul had been like, hey, you guys are struggling. Don't worry about it. Corinth, Rome, Ephesus, they'll cover it. But the Macedonians said, no, we want to be a part of this. We don't want to miss out on this. And Paul's like, all right, you know, you guys can be a part of it. And then what he says in verse 5, they exceeded our expectations. And so the generosity of the Macedonians completely blew, blew Paul away. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. 
And so that's a theme we're going to kind of come back to, right? They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then that resulted, their giving themselves to the Lord resulted in that generosity flowing to Paul and to the Jerusalem church. Uh, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to also bring to completion this act of grace on your part. Because you guys are a great church. You excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and love we've kindled in you. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. So he's encouraging, he's challenging the Corinthian church. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So he's bringing everything back to Jesus. And he's like, listen, in, in this life of generosity, we're just trying to follow Jesus because the example that he set for us is that he was up in heaven and he was enjoying all the privileges of deity and he laid aside the privileges of deity because he saw that we had a need. And so he emptied himself, taking on the very nature of a servant so that we, through his poverty, could become rich. And so what I'm asking you to do, Paul is saying, is let's follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Um, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So apparently he talked to them a year ago, and they're like, yes, we're in, we'll do this. But maybe some stuff had happened, maybe there was, you know, inflation, or something was going on, war in the Ukraine, I don't know. But there was something going on that made them kind of back up from that. And so he's encouraging them, and he's saying, hey, you need to finish what it is that you started, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. And so he's saying, hey, listen, let's talk about your internal motivations because God wants you to be willing to do this. God wants you, we don't want to manipulate you. You know, we want to talk about core motivation, right? We don't want to, we don't want to shame you because the word of God, the law is now written on your heart, right? In the old covenant, it was written on stone. But now it's written on your heart. So God is after your heart, right? We follow him because we want to. We don't follow him because we have to. And one of the things that I say, you know, as I, as I describe our church and I talk to other pastors, I just say, like, we want to be a life-giving church, meaning that we're a church where there's a lot of life. As we lift up Jesus and we preach the gospel, there's life. And the way there's life is when you have people who are, who are worshiping God and serving God and living a generous life, not because they have to, but because they want to. Because that willingness is there. Because the word, the law, is now written on their heart. And this is how we approach things here. Right? When it comes to generosity, when it comes to anything. Right? We don't read the Bible because we have to read the Bible. Right? Be a good Christian and read your Bible. We read the Bible because the Holy Spirit for you know, a couple thousand years ago would, would give things to human beings who would write them down. So we get to come to the Bible. We get to come to the Word of God and, and be exposed to the truth of God illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And so we want to read the Bible. Right? We don't have to pray. Kind of like you got to be a good Christian. you got to pray. you got to put your time in. No, we get to pray. I mean, listen, the God who created everything, 
He knows the hairs on your head. And he knows if a sparrow falls to the ground. And he says, listen, whatever burden you're carrying, whatever struggle you're having, whatever's going on in your life, bring it to me. Give me your burdens. And, you know, I'm going to give you my undivided attention. You can come boldly into the throne of grace. So we don't pray because we have to pray. We pray thankful that we get to pray. Right? It's a totally different perspective. I could go on serving. Right? We don't serve like, oh, I gotta be a good Christian. I gotta serve. I gotta. Phil keeps talking about Team Vineyard. I gotta join Team Vineyard. No, we serve because we get to serve. Right? Because we get to join God in what He's doing and we get to get to, in some different way, be a link in a chain that's helping connect hundreds of people to Jesus. And we say, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. Right? It's all about the heart. It's all about the willingness. And so what I want to do in the remainder of my time here is just walk us through. I encourage you, I, I, I put together an outline this week. Uh, it's got fill in the blanks. It's got all the Bible verses. So I'm going to do like a lot of Bible in this, uh, in this message because I really want, you know, want us to understand what the Bible is saying here. And so I found five words that I think stand out from this text, that stand out from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that flows into chapter 9. And so here are five things when it, when it comes to how we're going to be generous, right? The attitude of our heart. The first is this. Choose to give joyfully. Choose to give joyfully. See, when you're generous, it's fun, right? There's joy that's involved in it. And I think about this. When I was a little kid, I loved Christmas. And I would love to tell you I loved Christmas because I was such a mature little child. I celebrated the incarnation of Jesus and understood God's redemptive work over that. No, I knew I was going to get presents. And I loved, I was excited. Do you guys, I'm thinking to the old people right now. Do you guys remember the Sears wish book? Yeah. Do you remember that, right? Those, if you're old, you remember that. We didn't have the internet, you know, we didn't have any of that, which was good because we were running away from dinosaurs and if we were on our phone, we'd get eaten. But, but we would get, in like September, we would get the Sears wish book mailed to us and it was like this thick and the toy section was like this thick and so I would just, I'd be like, the Sears wish book came, the Sears wish book came and I would open it and I'd circle all the toys that I want and everything that I want and Christmas Eve would come and I would just be so excited. I remember one time I went, my parents took me to the Christmas Eve service and we didn't have like kids programs. I had to sit there and listen to the pastor and so I was drawing pictures of all of the toys that I was going to get the next day and I was so excited. I said, Mom, I'm going to show this to the pastor and she's like, no, don't. He probably would rather you were listening to him. He probably would have been okay with it. Show me the pictures that you're drawing. I'd be happy to see them. But, um, you know, Christmas Eve would come, and I'd try to go to sleep, and I'd be like, as soon as I fall asleep, it'll be Christmas. It'll be, and I'd just lay there for like three hours, you know, just like trying to fall asleep. But I got to tell you, though, and listen, if you guys, you know, those of you who have kids, you know that it's like Christmas was way more fun when you had your own little kids. And you got to see the joy and got to see them opening up their Christmas presents. I was always kind of crazy about that. I remember one Christmas Eve, I got back. We had like three Christmas Eve services. I got home and all the kids were asleep and all the presents were under the tree. And I said to Norma, there's not enough. There's not enough. We need more. And I was like, is Walmart open? And she just looked at me and she's like, you're crazy. What is wrong with you? There was, there was more than enough. But, but it's, more, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I see that on Tuesdays when the food bank is in operation. When they, you know, we got dozens of people who are working together. To, to, you know, we're going to have hundreds of cars line up and people are going to get food. And you guys who are volunteering in the food bank, you're having way more fun than you deserve, right? I mean, music is playing and everybody's joyful and everybody's having 
having a good time because it's more blessed to give than to receive. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the Greek word for cheerful is the word hilarious. And you can get, you know, you know what English word we get from that root word, hilarious. So God loves a hilarious giver. Now, I read this article that was in the Wall Street Journal from a couple of years ago. It's, it was entitled Wired to Give. And so what scientists had discovered is that we have something in our brain that when we're generous, it releases uh, serotonin and it releases things that, that make us feel pleasure that make us feel joy. And the article was kind of like, why is, that, why is that there? Because honestly, if you're like an evolutionist and you don't believe in God and it's Darwin and it's the survival of the fittest, that doesn't really make sense that you'd have that in your brain, right? Because survival of the fittest, you get what you need and you hold on to it and you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're fit. So when somebody comes to try to take your stuff, you're going to kill them so you can hold on to your stuff. That's Darwinism, right? So, so why is it we have this thing in our brain that makes it so that when we give away what we have, when we're generous, we really feel good about it? It doesn't line up with Darwinism. We have that because God put it there. We have that because God put it there because he wants us to become more like Jesus because he's the one who models this incredible generosity. So we, so we give with joy. Something else is we choose to give selflessly. We choose to give selflessly. 2 Corinthians 8, 5, it says, they gave themselves first to the, to the Lord. Our generosity is something that flows out of our relationship with Jesus. And Paul says that's what makes the gift special, right? They gave themselves to the Lord, and then out of love for the Lord, then it flowed into acts of generosity because they wanted to become more like Him. And Paul, in this discussion, he keeps bringing it back to Jesus. And he says, listen, let's remember Jesus. Let's remember what He did. When He saw that humanity had a sin problem, Right? When, we were, when he saw that our sins separated us from the kindness and goodness and abundance of God, he didn't look at that and say, oh, that's too bad for them. That's a shame. He didn't like cut a check. He didn't send someone else. He gave himself. Right? He became the, took on the very nature of a servant, and he gave his blood, he gave his body, he gave his soul, he gave his spirit. As, you know, and, and, and Paul, like in the midst of all of this, he just erupts in this kind of praise you know, as he's talking about generosity. 2 Corinthians 9.15, he says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Right? And so it's all about Jesus. The third thing is this, we choose to give willingly. We choose to be generous willingly, right? Don't do it because you have to. God doesn't want you to do anything because you have to do it. If the willingness, remember Paul said, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. So let me, let me talk about tithing for a moment. Let's talk about money for a minute. So, so we believe, you know, the Bible teaches that we're supposed to give, you know, 10% back to God and that we give them the first fruits. And so, you know, that's something we encourage people to do. We, we see that in the Bible. But sometimes people will say, you know, well, well, that's the old covenant. That's the law. I don't have to do that. 
You know, not realizing Jesus said, Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what Jesus is saying is like, listen, I don't want you to do it because you have to. I want to do it because you want to. I want you to do it because you're saying, okay, God, I'm going to give you my first fruits. I'm going to give you that first 10%. And you make promises all through Scripture, Old and New Testament, that, that you're going to be the one who provides for me and that I'm entering into a covenant with you and I'm acknowledging that you're the source of my blessing and I'm inviting you to help with my life. And so, you know, the first fruits, it shows that we put God first and that we trust Him. And so it's something that we want to do. And I was thinking about this in my case, because this, this hasn't always been the case. But over the last few years, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a thankfulness, there's a willingness that's there when I give that first 10% to God, because I get, you know, I, I receive a salary from the church, and it's a generous salary, and I'm able to live my life and raise my family, and, and uh, I get paid every two weeks. And so when the paycheck hits on a Friday morning, I get up, get my coffee, go sit in my chair, and the first thing I do is I pull out that PushPay app and I, and I give that first 10% to God. And, and, and that's like a, it's kind of almost like a holy moment, because in that moment, I'm just so thankful. I'm just so thankful for what God has done. I'm so thankful for how He's blessed me. I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm so thankful that, that I get to lead this church. I not only get to do what I'm called to do and what I love doing, I, I, I get to be supported and care for my family and do all of that while I do what I'm called to do. And, it's, and I honestly, it hits me every single time because the reality is, is years ago, I did this without getting paid. Like when I planted this church, there was about a two-year period where God put this vision, He put this calling on me, and I was like starting some small groups and trying to multiply the small groups, and I was working two other jobs so that I can do it. And it just, sometimes it just overwhelms me that, that God has so blessed me and God has been so faithful that I'm able to do what it is He's called me to do. And so there's, there's thankfulness and there's willingness to do it. And that's not just the case for pastors, that that would be true for all of us, that we would say however it is we're called to sacrifice for God, whatever it is that we say, God, thank you for how you bless me. Thank you, God, for this roof that's over my head. Thank you for this food that's on my table. Thank you for this job that I have. Thank you for the car that I have. Even though maybe it's not a new car and it doesn't run great, I thank you for it. God, you have been so good to me. There have been times of abundance, and there have been plenty of times where maybe there was, didn't feel like abundance, but God, you always gave me just enough, just in time. And so, God, I thank you for your faithfulness. And so I, and so I I give to you willingly. The fourth thing is this. Choose to give intentionally. Choose to give intentionally. We need to be intentional about it. We need to think about it. We need to make choices. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so what he says is you should give intentionally. Right? If you want to donate to the ASPCA and you want to give to animals, don't do it because the sad puppy lady sang a song on late night television. Some of you remember Sarah McLaughlin in the eyes of the angels, right? But don't, don't give or don't sacrifice because there's some video that's shown that moves your emotions. Don't let someone manipulate you, right? Let God speak to you. Let God stir you. Let God say, here's how I want you to express this generosity. 2 Corinthians 9.11, Paul says this. Again, this is all in the context of the same conversation. He says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous 
on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It says, you will be enriched in every way. You know what it means to be rich? Right? To be rich means you have more than you need. And so what God is promising here is that as we are generous, He will supply all of our needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. And so you will be able to be joyful. You'll be able to give away joy because you have more joy than you need. You'll be able to give away hope because you have more hope than you need. He's going to make you rich in every way. You're going to be able to give away faith because you have more faith than you need. The verse right before that is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. It says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Listen, God wants to make you rich. And I know that might sound like, well, Phil, hold on, wait a minute. Is this, are you a different kind of church now? Are we going to be like flying private jets in and out of Teterboro Airport? No, God wants to give you more than you need. So out of that overflow, you will abound in every good work, and it's going to result in praise and thanksgiving to God. And, uh, you know, that's the promise that we have, that as we look to Him and as we're generous, we will be made rich, and then the overflow is going to bless people around us and is going to glorify God. And so ways that, the ways that we want to be intentional, let me break this down a little bit for you, that, you in, that, that first of all, that you intentionally give your time. And so one of the reasons we encourage people to be on Team Vineyard is that we think it's good that you come and you worship and you listen, but also that you kind of give yourself, you know, and that you say, okay, I'm going to put my, my serving on the calendar. And so right now today, we have dozens of people who are worshiping God out in the parking lot, helping people find a parking spot. We have people who are worshiping God by, by joyfully welcoming people to the house of God and making sure they're comfortable and helping them get a bagel. We've got lots of people who are, who are, who are joyfully intentional about, about teaching the children about Jesus, and they're doing it with joy. And so we want to be intentional with our time. We want to intentionally give our talents. See, here's the thing. You're, you're talented, right? You have talents. Every single one of us here in this room and those watching on the live stream, you have talents. To each one of you, the Bible says, grace has been given. That's a divine enablement. And so when you take, you have that willingness to serve. You have the law written on your heart. And you take something that God has gifted you in, a talent that he's given you, and you sacrifice that to the Lord, then that's going to really make a difference in people's lives. And I'll tell you this too, you're going to feel really good while you're doing it. So maybe you're really good with kids. Maybe you're really good at organizing stuff. Maybe you've got musical talent or you're good at speaking or you know technology or whatever it is that we intentionally give our talents to God. And, and that's what step two of the growth track is about, by the way. It's happening right after this service. Mary Ann's going to lead that in the Team Vineyard Room. You can discover God, the gifts that God's given you, the things that He's done in your life, so you can know how to use your talents for God. The third thing is this. Intentionally give your touch intentionally give your touch. You see, God wants us to live lives where as we go about our day, and maybe there's someone who's in your office, and you can just tell they're not themselves. They seem down. And so you intentionally give them your touch, and you let God kind of interrupt you. You know, maybe you've got a project, you've got plans, but you let God interrupt your day, and you say to that person, how are you doing? 
But you don't say it in a Jersey way. You're not like, how you doing? You know, well, you're not, and then you walk away. No, no, you say, how are you doing? And you stop and you listen to how they're doing. And then you take the time and you encourage them. Maybe you pray for them. You share, you let them know that you're there for them. Whatever it takes, you're intentional about giving your touch. One of the things we can do to kind of redeem modern technology is right now there might be someone that God brings to your mind. And share your touch. Be intentional. Send them a text. Even if you do it right now, I won't, you know, you can do it now. I won't be insulted. And you just say, hey, I want you to know I was thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I'm proud of you. Maybe you might want to text your mom or text your kids or text a friend, whoever it might be. See, Jesus, with all of his busyness and being the Messiah and doing what he did, he was always open. He said the son, the son only does what he sees the father doing. So Jesus went about his day open. People who needed a touch from God, he was there to give them the touch. Even though he had places to go and people to see, he let God interrupt his day. And then the fourth is we want to be intentional to give our treasure. And our treasure, that's, you know, a lot of the things we've been talking about. It's your life. It's your time. It's your money. But we want to be intentional in in giving ourselves and giving our treasure, giving our touch, giving our talents, giving our time to the Lord. And the last thing is this. We choose to give thankfully. We choose to give thankfully. Psalm 116, verse 12. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? So when you think about all the ways that God has been good to you, what can you do to pay him back? And the reality is there's not anything that you can do to pay him back, right? The reality is he has given us so much, but what he asks of us is that whatever little meager attempts we make to kind of say, God, we love you and we're for you and we want to bless you, that we do it thankfully, that we do it willingly, right? He's been so generous to us. And so anytime we have an opportunity to serve, we want to we be thankful that we have that opportunity, and there's this beautiful account in the book of Exodus, and you've, maybe you've read it, or maybe you've seen the movie with Charlton Heston and others, but, but it's about the, the Passover lamb. And so the Israelites, they had been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And the Egyptians, they were harsh oppressors. I mean, it was a tough time. And God was going to set them free, and God was going to give them the promised land. And so, you know, Pharaoh would not let them go. And so there were these plagues, and so nine plagues happened, and every time Pharaoh's heart would harden, and he wouldn't let the Israelites go. Until we got to the tenth plague. The tenth plague was the angel of death. And so what God said to the Israelites is, all right, in order for the angel of death to pass over you, and the angel of death visited every Egyptian household, and the firstborn the firstborn child, the firstborn animal, the firstborn died in every household. and said you could hear the wailing and the shrieking all throughout Egypt. But the angel of death passed over the Israelites because they were instructed to go to their flock and take the best lamb that they had, the perfect, unblemished, the, the, the creme de la creme of all the lambs. Bring it into your house for a couple of weeks and then you're going to sacrifice that lamb to me. And you're going to take the blood of the lamb and you're going to put it on the doorpost. And then when the angel of death sees the blood of that sacrificial lamb on the doorpost, a little bit of foreshadowing of Jesus, you know, a couple thousand years, a thousand years before he was born. But when they see that that blood over the, the door of your house, the angel of death will pass over. 
And so they did that. And as you know, you know, they were led out of, they were led out of Egypt. Pharaoh finally let them go. And, and then eventually they were brought into the promised land. And he said to the Israelites, he said, I want you to keep doing this. I want you to keep doing this every year. And, you know, Jewish people today celebrate Passover. And he says, when you do it, your kids are going to be a little confused by it. Your kids are going to say, Dad, why, why do we do this? Why do we take the, the best lamb and sacrifice it to God? Why do we have it live with us for a little while? Why, why, why do we do that? And so what, what it says in Exodus chapter 13, verses 14 to 15, it says, In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. Sit him down and say, son, you may not remember this. Maybe you were too little. But I used to be a slave. I was a slave. And maybe you lift up your shirt and you show them the scars of when you were a slave. But God set me free. God delivered me. And so the reason I sacrifice to the Lord is because he has been so good to me. And so maybe, you know what, maybe your kids, maybe your spouse, maybe your friends will say, say, why do we have to go to church so early to serve? Why can't we just get there 10 minutes late like everyone else? No, I'm just kidding. No offense. No offense. Why, why do we have to go early to serve? Or, or why are you helping on Tuesdays with the food bag? Or why do we always have people in our house? Why do we give God the first 10%? Whatever it is, you use that as an opportunity. Show your scars and say, you know what? I used to live like this, but God stepped in and he saved me. He rescued me. That's why I make this sacrifice. That's why I try to give God my best. Because listen, as I think about this for my life, I think about when God broke into my life. I was a 17-year-old kid, and I was a mess. I was trying to be cool on the outside and stuff, but I was filled with insecurities. My identity was, a, was, was in tatters. I had all this kind of internal stress. I was, I, I was this really rebellious kid. I don't, I don't really know why, but whenever there was authority, I had to challenge it. I, had, I was always getting in trouble, and, and, and it was just making my life so much more difficult, like kind of unmanageable. I was starting to drink like, you know, every weekend and maybe even during the week. I was smoking a lot of pot. I was experimenting with different drugs. I was a mess. And then God saw me and he responded. And what he did, I was in a pit and he reached down into the pit that I was in and he lifted me up and he set my feet upon a rock and he gave me a calling and he gave me a purpose and he gave me an incredible wife. He gave me a wonderful family. He gave me you guys. He gave me the opportunity to serve him and to lead a meaningful life. I didn't deserve it. If God didn't step into my life, I don't know where I would have been. I mean, honestly, I don't think I wouldn't have been able to stay married. I, I don't know what kind of addiction issues I would have. I don't know what it would have been. Sometimes I stop and I think about that. Where would I be, God, if you didn't step in and you didn't pull me out of the pit that I was in? Where would I be? Because so my wife and I, we were talking about this last night, and I just said, you know what? I've got challenges. I've got difficulties. Like we all do. You know, we're all dealing with stuff. But what I can say is that through the years, remember, you know, Jesus said that, that we build our house on the, on the rock as opposed to the shifting sand. 
I've been, by God's grace, building my house on the rock. And as I see all the shifting sand that's around me, I can say that down in my heart, like, I'm fulfilled. Like, I got challenges, I've got difficulties, I've got things, but like, I'm okay, like, because I know that Jesus has rescued me, and I also, I know that Jesus rose from the dead. I know that historically, I know that philosophically, I know that experientially. And so since Jesus rose from the dead, I know that no matter what I'm dealing with, everything is going to be okay. And so we respond, this generous life, we give ourselves first to the Lord. We remember what Jesus has done for us. And we say, God, I'm not going to, especially even in those areas of scarcity in our lives. Right? Because we've all got, maybe you've got scarcity financially. Maybe you're experiencing scarcity relationally. Maybe you have bandwidth scarcity. There's just kind of like this, this angst that's been on you, this depression or something that just makes it hard for you to engage. And we just say, God, I'm going to give myself first to you and then I'm going to give myself to others. I want to live a generous life because I want to be more and more like Jesus. And if you do that, if you do that as a lifestyle, and it's, we all need to grow in it, and so I just want to encourage wherever you're at that we grow into this more and more, I want to tell you, you will have more joy in your life. If you live a generous life, you will have more joy, and you will make an impact on those around you like you can't imagine, and you will bring joy to the heart of God because God loves a hilarious giver. And so you're going to bless the heart of God. And so let me just say this, as I'm talking about giving ourselves first to the Lord, that maybe there's somebody here right now and you've not given your life to Jesus. You haven't, you know, you're just talking about giving ourselves to the Lord and him pulling us out of pits and all that he does. And you say, I don't know if I've done that. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe somebody brought you here today. Maybe you were just, you know, kind of in a place and you did a Google search and somehow you ended up here, whatever it is. See, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you and Jesus is for you. And you can give yourself to him and you will find in him everything that you've been looking for everywhere else. And God promises that he's going to make you rich. What that means is God is going to give you more than you need. God is going to give you more joy. He's going to give you more purpose. He's going to give you more life. And this is going to be a life that you'll enjoy now. And it'll go on forever and ever. And whatever it is you're dealing with in this life, Jesus promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be the friend that sticks closer to you than a brother. I will be the one that you can count on when maybe you're not sure if there's anybody that you can count on. You can know that you can count on Jesus. And you can also know that your sins are forgiven, that there's no more guilt, there's no more shame, and that God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? And so I want to give you a chance. And so let's just, just close your eyes. You can remain seated. But if you're ready to give yourself to the Lord, just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I give myself to you. All that I am, with my limited understanding, I give it to you. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross in my place. I ask you to forgive all of my sins. I accept your free gift of salvation. And Lord, as I receive your generosity, help me to become more and more like you that I would live a generous life.